we go. Thanks for coming and welcome. The uh, Torah portion this week is called Naso, and it's the second Torah portion. Oh, good, Rob. I'm glad you're here, and I'll know understand when you have to go. Uh, the Torah portion Naso is the second parsha of the Book of Numbers, and um, Vicky will be chanting from it this Saturday, and. I decided today, rather, I wasn't, there are many topics of interest in this Parsha, but I, I wasn't grabbed by them in the way I like to be grabbed to, in order to teach. And so I looked at the Haftor portion of Naso, meaning the prophetic passage. Uh, and that's what I want to study with you today. So um, that'll be fun because it's, from the book of Judges, and it's the story of Samson's, the announcement of Samson's birth. So we don't talk about Samson that much. Um, and uh, I'll mute you, Ellen. Okay. Um, and so I wanna, I want, uh, so today, the theme of today is humor in the Bible. We are, that seemed like a good theme for today. You know, sort of like, let's distract ourselves a little bit. So um, what we, one of the things we miss because the Bible has such a ponderous reputation and must be, you know, weighty and heavy is that it has, it's got everything in it. The Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible has a little bit of everything. It is an, anthology of literature. And so it has uh, morality tales, it has folk tales, it has humorous tales, it has teachings, it has, you know, it's got the whole shebang. It's got philosophical books, it's got wisdom books, it's got poetry, that's the whole Tanakh. But because we've been so conditioned to treat it, to read it in one tone of voice, the intoning, the Bible says, you know, we just really lose out. The story of stories about Samson are folk tales that are meant to be funny. I mean, really funny. And uh, let's see, what other, what other parts of the, there are other parts of the Torah that are also meant to make us laugh. I mean, the book of Esther, clearly, right? Esther is a farce. It's a, it, that's what it's meant to be. But there are other passages too. There's passages in, uh, I think the stories of Jacob and Esau, which horrify us because Jacob's such a sneak, are actually supposed to be funny. If we weren't so damn stuck up, you know, wanting our, our sacred patriarch to be, you know, a holy great man. And it turns out he's a trickster. You know, I think the Jacob stories are supposed to be entertaining and funny. I think some of the passages between Moses and God are supposed to be funny. Uh, the one that we, um, uh, which was it that I was talking about last week? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. In, on Shavuot, I was talking about Shlach Lecha. When God says, when the, when the people are freaking out and, and 
let's saying, let's go back to Egypt. And God says, I'm going to kill him. And I'm going to make you um, uh, uh, a great nation, Moses. And Moses talks to God and says, but what will the Egyptians say? Your God took him out of Egypt and then to kill him in the desert. I think that's funny. And I, let's see, Cynthia says, oh, oh, Joan, of course, the talking donkey. Yes, the story of Balak uh, in numbers in a few weeks, thank you, Joan, is a humorous story uh, where, no, Balaam is the, oh, that's okay. The, the portion's called Balak, the prophet is called Balaam, and he doesn't see what his donkey sees. And finally, the donkey has to tell him what he's seeing. Right, it's, a cla- it's just a funny story. That's the most Disney-esque part of the Torah, I have to say. Talking animals. Like- and uh, uh, Cynthia says, one of the funniest interpretations is Shalom Babayat, when God lies to, lies to Sarah. Yes, when, um, Mo- when Abraham says to God, how are we going to have a baby with Sarah so old? And uh, then uh, God says to Sarah something to the effect of, you know, even though Abraham's so old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's all, it, there's a lot of good stuff. So the stories of Samson, which are from the book of Judges, are, are humorous. And so I want to read the Torah portion and prime you for that. Now, the book of Judges is one of the most amoral, bloody, crazy books of the Torah. I mean, if you're looking for anything high-minded, you will not find it in the book of Judges. You'll be horrified. Oh my God, the, the, the wars, the treatment of women, the massacres, the... There's a method to that madness because at the end of each chapter, the book of Judges takes place in the years after Joshua has conquered the land and the people have entered the land and before King David becomes king. And uh, so the literary purpose of the book of Judges is to show what, for, from the authors, the historiography, as it were, was, was to, to sh- show the readers how chaotic and unruly life was before there was a king in Israel. And so the stories in Judges are like reading stories of the Wild West, uh, a place where there's no law and where the law is by the powerful. And um, several times in chapters and episodes, uh, the book of Judges will end with the refrain, and there was no king in Israel and everyone did as they pleased. So if you handed someone a Bible and they opened to the book of Judges, they would be horrified. I just want you to know that, okay? So now that you're ready, let's say a blessing and we'll study Torah together. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech ha'olam asher kichanu v'mitzvotav v'tzivanu la'asok v'divrei Torah. Amen. I'll share my screen. Oh, one more word of introduction before I share my screen. So in this week's Torah portion, 
Nassau. There's a chapter about a character, a, 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 a position in Israelite society called the Nazir, which gets translated as Nazarite in English. Uh, has nothing to do with Nazareth. That's a whole different word. Um, um, anyway, uh, Nazir in the Torah is someone who takes a voluntary oath to, uh, oh, for a particular time period, who is not a priest or a Levite, so they don't have access to the holy precincts. This is an order to, it, it's kind of like a monastic oath. It's, it's, some, it's a vow to God. And for the duration of your Nazarite vow, one is not supposed to cut one's hair or drink any wine product or eat grapes or any alcoholic product. You're also not supposed to come in touch with a dead body because of the laws of ritual purity in ancient Israel. So this voluntary oaths, people would see someone walking around with flowing locks. This was, I presume, for men um, only. Uh, and uh, um, they would know that this person had taken a Nazarite vow. And when the period of their vow was ended, they would be a, a ritual where they would cut their hair, burn it on the sacred altar, and offer a sacrifice to God. It's very interesting, ancient part, part of ancient Israelite society. So since the Nazarite is described in the portion, the sages looked for a passage from the prophets that discusses a Nazarite. So guess who is a Nazarite? Samson, right? Remember his hair and all the power being in the strength of his head? This is a folktale sort of expansion on the power of the Nazarite's vow. So the link between the Torah and the Haftorah is that. And again, for those unfamiliar with this, every Torah portion has a Haftorah portion and there's always some kind of link, right? We, uh, so uh, the part of the, it's fun to figure out what the link is. This one is very obvious. Sometimes it's less, it's more subtle. Okay, so that's why we're reading this portion this weekend. Now I'll share it with you. Hold on. Thank you. Okay. Here's how it starts. There was a certain man from Sorah of the stock of Don, from the tribe of Don, whose name was Manoach. His wife was barren and had borne no children. So immediately we have a classic ancient biblical, um, what do you call it, template. The, 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 the wife who is barren, we can think of so many times when this is how a biblical story starts, beginning, of course, with Sarah. But there are many other examples. An angel of yod heh appeared to the woman. Now, the woman is not named. She's Manoch's wife. 
but she is the protagonist in this story, as you'll see. You are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, be careful not to drink wine or other intoxicant or to eat anything unclean. For you are going to conceive and bear a son. Let no razor touch his head. For the boy is to be a Nazir to God from the womb on. And he shall be the first to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Now, if you've read the previous chapters of the book of Judges, we may like to think that uh, the 12 tribes came in and conquered the land. But when you read the book of Joshua carefully, it, in fact, they have many, many setbacks and their um, foothold is tenuous and only in the hills of Judea and Ephraim. Um, the coastal plain is all the Philistines and they are their worst enemy and they are subjugated by the Philistines over and over again. So the Philistines are, they're the, they're the enemy at this time. Okay, so she gets the message and she goes to her husband. The woman went and told her husband, a man of God came to see me. Now remember, Ish, Elohim, means man of God. But it can also refer, remember, unnamed Ish that um, wrestles with Jacob? That Ish is an angel. So an Ish Elohim is either a prophet or an angel. They're kind of, it's a fuzzy moving line between them. A man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God. Very frightening. I did not ask him where he was from nor did he tell me his name. He said to me, you are going to conceive and bear a son. Drink no wine or other intoxicant and eat nothing unclean for the boy is to be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Okay, the wife gives a absolutely crystal clear report and here's what happens. Manoach pleaded with Yudhei Oh, my Lord, he said, please let the man of God that you sent come to us again and let him instruct us how to act with the child that is to be born. You get it, everybody? He, he completely ignores anything his wife says. Because she just told him exactly what God, had, the angel had said. So God heeded Manoach's plea and the angel of God came to the woman again, not to him. She was sitting in the field and her husband Manoach was not with her. The woman ran in haste to tell her husband. She said to him, the man who came to me before has just appeared to me. Manoach promptly followed his wife. He came to the man and asked him, are you the man who spoke to my wife? Yes, he answered. Then Manoach said, may your words soon come true. What rules shall be observed for the boy? The angel of the Lord said to Manoach, the woman must abstain from all things against which I already warned her. 
She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine or drink wine or other intoxicant or eat anything unclean. She must observe all that I commanded her. Now I'm reading it straight, but if I was acting this, I'd have to give the angel a sarcastic edge here. And I'd have to give Manoah like some dopey voice. Oh, let's see what Rabbi Ellen typed in here. Rabbi Jill Hammer in her book, Omer Calendar of Biblical Women, gives her the name Chatzalponit. She is Chesed Bahod because she has the gift of acceptance, Hod, she's able to understand God's generosity, Chesed, when she receives it. We are most like Chatzalponit when we are able to take in the miracle of our lives with gratitude and without fear. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, so, Manoach. Uh, um, gets his answer and then says to the angel of the Lord, let us detain you and prepare a kid for you. But the angel of the Lord said to Manoach, if you detain me, I shall not eat your food. And if you present a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. For Manoach did not know that he was an angel of the Lord. Okay, Manoach, what's it going to take? So Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what's your name? We should like to honor you when your words come true. The angel said, you must not ask for my name. It is unknowable. We all know this about angels. Manoah took the kid and the meal offering and opened them, offered them up on the rock to the Lord. And a marvelous thing happened while Manoah and his wife looked on. As the flames leaped up from the altar toward the sky, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flames of the altar while Manoach and his wife looked on and they flung themselves on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord never appeared again to Manoach and his wife. Manoach then realized that it had been an angel of the Lord. And he says to his wife, we're gonna die. We've seen a divine being. His wife said to him, had the Lord meant to take our lives, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and meal offering from us, nor let us see all these things, and he would not have made such an announcement to us. The woman bore a son, and she named him Samson. The boy grew up, and the Lord blessed him. Okay, that's the end of the Haftorah. I'm going to come back to this text. So. Can you see how, in my opinion, in the way that we're trained to read biblical stories, we would miss this whole farce? How many times, how dense is Manoah, right? He's, he's unbelievable. His wife comes and tells him, he says, oh, I hope the guy comes back so he can tell me. The guy comes back and tells him, and he says, well, um, can we, what's your name? Can we give you a meal? What's your name? And he says, no, you can't. Then he jumps in the fire and ascends in the flames. And Manoah says, oh, we're going to die. And on and on and on. He's a dope. So, um, and this isn't the first time in the Torah, by any means, when the woman 
Yes, this feminist story in Torah, it's not the only one. When the woman knows what's going on and the husband doesn't, classic motif, folktale motif, right? Rebecca knows that she's going to have twins. She knows the whole story. She knows that Jacob has to be the uh, supersede his brother. Isaac is clueless, right? When you read, that's the most famous example of the woman uh, in the in Genesis, uh, in knowing that. But it also goes right back to Eve. And, uh, oh, yes, uh, Joan says, yes, and Rebecca has to turn to tricky, bad scrap. That's right. I don't know if it's bad. Maybe for the biblical, maybe for a listener 2,500 years ago, it was just very entertaining because they weren't expecting it to be high-minded. Right? I mean, how much lore is adventurous and gripping and, and you know, coyote and, and Native American uh, Western traditions, Anansi the spider, they're heroes because they're so tricky. So it's just, that's our bias, everybody. We can enjoy these stories without, without passing our, our moral judgments. Um, oh, and Ellen says, for Solomon Berkowitz, Bar Mitzvah for Nassau. Oh, I remember we acted the story with his father, Sister Sylvia and Brother Theo. We all had a lot of fun with it. And I think his father played Manoach, dim and clueless. That's right. The fact that he didn't believe his wife seemed like he didn't take women seriously. Is that feminist? Uh, no, but Manoach's the butt of the joke in this story. That's why. He's not the hero. He's a dope. And the story couldn't be clearer about it until his wife finally chews him out. He wouldn't kill us. He would have killed, he, what are you, crazy? He told us we're going to have a son. He did it. He, he hasn't killed us. Would you just listen to me? You know, uh, that's how I read it. And yes, it's a literary icon. The trickster is often a divine being. Uh, because, you know, we wish life was scrutable and just. But most of the time, it's like, what the hell's going on here? And we get by with our wits. And that's a fine thing. Okay, uh, Barbara, so why are there so many stories where the wife is barren? This is a great and enduring question about this motif in Torah. Shall we name them? Um, the first is Sarah. Then the second is Rebecca, who is um, praised to God. No, Isaac prays on her behalf and she becomes pregnant. The next one is Rachel, who cannot get pregnant. And in each one of these people, the promise of Israel's future is inherent in them giving birth. If those of us who can see the story, the whole story, we see what's going on. Um, who's next? Um, I guess those are the key ones in Genesis. And then in the, the birth of Samuel, who is a, considered to be in the Bible, the prophet Samuel, uh, equivalent with Elijah and with Moses. Um, Hannah, his mother, prays to God and promises the son that the, if she has a boy, he will grow up in the sanctuary and the Lord opens up her womb. 
it's a very poignant, that's a very poignant um, passage because it's why uh, her husband uh, says to her, isn't my love for you enough? I love you. And she's incon um, inconsolable. And she does have a son and it's Samuel. And here we see the motif again. Uh, so here's what I think. I th and this is, this is just my, my best guess after all these years of looking at this, that um, it is God, it's the divine power, it's the, that um, um, opens that which seems barren, that creates new life where it seems impossible. And that um, we are not in charge, yeah, miracles, but the, we are not in charge. Um, the story wants to tell us over and over again that somehow God is um, directing, directing the unfolding of the line that will lead us to um, lead us to uh, our our destiny. I'm not sure, uh, Barb, but that's what I've thought about. The other theme that gets repeated over and over is that the younger child supersedes the older over and over and over again. And I think that has to do with um, the fact that it's clear that the Bechor, the firstborn in the traditional order of society of the ancient Near East is the inheritor and the, becomes the next patriarch. And yet over and over again, the biblical stories overturn that paradigm and the younger, the youngest, the younger, the, the runt takes actually is the one who takes the lead over and over and over again. And we can speculate about what the Torah is trying to teach us. Now, here's a great comment by Ellen Weaver. Another possibility is that these women were also priestesses of the goddess who were not meant to conceive until much later. And in the matrilineal culture, the younger is the inheritor. Thank you, Ellen. That is a whole line of study that's that, oh no, no, but I appreciate you throwing it out there. It's important. And Marcus says, in a sense, the beginnings of meritocracy, it could be read that way. Um, uh, the divine will seems to be, in, again, somewhat inscrutable here. Uh, my favorite theory uh, is that the, and this is also based on scholarly guesswork, is that the Hebrews were a disenfranchised class of people in the ancient Near East who were younger siblings who had no land holdings and had to simply, they were, you know, think of, um, not to be too strong about this, think about um, uh, other mammals, especially uh, primates and what happens to all the males who don't get to be the, the alpha and the boss. And uh, that um, they, the, the Israelites see themselves as the youngest sibling who somehow then still uh, manages to um, gain the land and gain God's favor. Uh, 
the overturning of conventional authority and of all assumptions. Well said. I think the Bible wants us to know that too. I mean, look, God liberates the slaves from Egypt. That overturns all conventional authority. So all of those themes are there. So now I want to read you, since we're into Samson. Thank you for all these comments, by the way. Uh, I want to read you a couple more episodes so you can see the tone of all the Samson stories. This is just the first one. And you'll see that there's a consistent tone to these stories. Oh, and I should mention that um, when we studied this many years ago in my class, when we were actually meeting in person, um, we recognized that these were very ancient tales and that Shimshon, Samson's name, comes from the word Shemesh, sun, S-U-N, who was the god? What was the god of the Philistines? Um, they worshipped the sun, Shamash, and so Shimshon is some kind of play on the Philistine god names. Just like in Esther, Esther's name is Ishtar, who is the primary goddess of that of that pantheon, and Mordechai is Marduk who's the primary god and Ishtar's consort in. So these are people razzing their nose at the Philistines at the same time, just like the book of Esther razzes the, the Babylonian Persian cultures. Um, and then we realized that Samson is, represents some kind of demigod. Uh, then we realized that Delilah, Delilah, her name means Lila, night. So this is really, this is the sun and the night. And these are, don't, we, these are so non-literal. These are, these are the tales of uh, ancient Israel. And again, it's our training that makes us want to, you know, make them into people. Okay. Uh, back then, says Abigail, not knowing biology, childbirth belonged to the realm of God. That's a really good statement and a good assumption. Who opens the womb? Only the divine power. It's a blessing that opens the womb. And if the womb is stopped up, it can only be the divine power that opens it. Thank you. Which is... I mean, we can think about this little, uh, this, we can think about this little sperm swimming towards his little egg, but it's still like, that's going to turn into a person. So I'm still in the realm of God when it comes to thinking about how babies are made. <laughs> okay, let's go on. Okay, so now Samson grew up. Okay, do not take this story too seriously, everyone. It's gross. Once Samson went down to Timnah. Timnah's a place. And while in Timnah, he noticed a girl among the Philistine women. On his return, he told his father and mother, I noticed one of the Philistine women in Timnah. Please get her for me as a wife. And listen to what his father and mother say. 
Is there no one among the daughters of your own kinsmen and among all our people that you must go and take away from the uncircumcised Philistines? Can we put that in 20th century English, everybody? You have to go find a shiksa. But Samson answered his father, get me that one, for she's the one that pleases me. Yeah, Taka Agoy. Where's God in there? Thank you, Joe. His father and mother did not realize that this was the Lord's doing. He was seeking a pretext. God was seeking a pretext against the Philistines, for the Philistines were ruling over Israel at that time. So Samson, his father and mother, went down to Timnah. When he came to the vineyards of Timnah for the first time, a full-grown lion came roaring at him. The spirit of the Lord gripped him, and he tore him asunder with his bare hands, as one might tear a kid asunder. But he did not tell his father and mother what he had done. Then he went down and spoke to the woman, and she pleased Samson. Returning the following year to marry her. In ancient Israel, there was a betrothal period of one year. That continued in Jewish life for a long time. So he comes back a year later for the wedding. He turned aside to look at the remains of the lion. And the lion, in the lion's skeleton, he found a swarm of bees and honey. He scooped it into his palms and ate it as he went along. When he rejoined his father and mother, he gave them some and they ate it, but he did not tell them that he had scooped the honey out of a lion's skeleton. So his father came down to the woman and Samson made a feast there as young men used to do. When they saw him, they designated 30 companions to be with him. Groomsmen? I don't know. Then Samson said to them, let me offer a riddle to you. If you can give me the right answer during the seven days of the wedding feast, I shall give you 30 linen tunics and 30 sets of clothing. But if you are not able to tell it to me, you must give me, give me 30 linen tunics and 30 sets of clothing. And they said to him, ask your riddle and we will listen. So he said to them, Me ha'ochel yatsa ma'achal, ume az yatsa matok. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. I'm glad the translators made it a rhyme. That's appropriate. For three days, they could not answer the riddle. Now, I'm not a folklore expert, but how many riddle stories are there in, in different traditions, right? It's just one of the things we like to do. On the seventh day, they said to Samson's wife, Coax your husband to provide us with the answer to the riddle, else we shall put you and your father's household to the fire. Have you invited us here in order to impoverish us? Okay, we're going to kill you. He's going to take our, all our clothing. Then Samson's wife harassed him with tears. And she said, you really hate me. You don't love me. You asked my countrymen a riddle and you didn't tell me the answer. He replied, I haven't even told my parents. Why should I tell you? And during the rest of the seven days of the feast, she continued to harass him with her tears 
That's the Hebrew. She wept upon him. And on the seventh day, he told her because she nagged him so. And so she explained the riddle to her countrymen. On the seventh day before the sunset, the townsmen said to him, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than the lion? That's the correct answer. He responded, this is where, had you not plowed with my heifer, you would not have guessed my riddle. Yes, the, the book of Judges, you were here at the beginning, right, Tone? The book of Judges may be the most misogynistic book in the whole Torah, just so we're clear about that. I'm not even reading the worst passages. The spirit of the Lord gripped him. He went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of its men. He stripped them and gave the sets of clothing to those who had answered the riddle. And he left in a rage for his father's house. Okay, this is Samson, right? They guess the riddle, he's furious. He goes, kills 30 other people, gives them their clothes and goes back to his father's house. And Samson's wife then married one of those who had been his wedding companions. Sometime later in the season of the wheat harvest, Samson came to visit his wife, bringing a kid as a gift. He said, let me go into the chamber to my wife, but her father would not let him go in. I was sure, said her father, that you had taken a dislike to her. So I gave her to your wedding companion. But her younger sister is more beautiful than she. Let her become your wife instead. Thereupon Samson declared, now the Philistines can have no claim against me for the harm I shall do to them. And Samson went and caught 300 foxes. He took torches and turning the foxes tail to tail, he placed a torch between each of their tails. He lit the torches and turned the foxes loose among the standing grain of the Philistines, setting fire to the stacked grain, the standing grain, the vineyards and the olive trees. And the Philistines asked, who did this? And they were told, it was Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite who took Samson's wife and gave her to his wedding companion. Thereupon the Philistines came and put her and her father in the fire. And Samson said, if this is how you act, I will not rest until I've taken revenge on you. And he gave him a sound and thorough thrashing. And then he went down and stayed in the cave of Atom. Uh, the Philistines came up, pitched camp in Judah and spread out all over Lehi. In other words, they're gonna get back at Samson now. And the men of Judah asked, why have you come up against us? They answered, we have come to take Samson prisoner and to do to him as he did to us. Thereupon, 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cave of the rock of Atom, and they said to Samson, you knew that the Philistines rule over us. Why have you done this to us? And he replied, as they did to me, so I did to them. Well, we've come down to take you prisoner and to hand you over to the Philistines. Okay, says Samson, but swear to me that you yourselves will not attack me. We won't. We'll only take you prisoner and hand you over to them. We will not slay you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. And when he reached the Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him and the spirit of the Lord gripped him. The ropes in his arm became like flax that catches fire. The bonds melted off his hands. He came upon a fresh jawbone of an ass and he picked it up and with it, he killed a thousand men.
And then Samson crowed with the jaw of an ass, mass upon mass, with the jaw of an ass, I have slain a thousand men. Okay, I think you get uh, the picture. Um, and uh, then there's more of the Philistines trying to tick to, to kill him. And uh, he sleeps with another woman. Okay, so Samson, I don't even know how to describe this rogue. You know, here's the story of Samson and Delilah. And the reason I want to read it to you is because we know that Delilah becomes a synonym for a, um, what's that word? Oh, I never remember the word, a portmanteau. Is that the word? For a, um, a wanton? No, woman? for a temptress. She becomes the, 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 the epitome. The, the epitome of the temptress, <laughs> of the seductress. Where do you see the actual story? She, there's nothing seductive about her. Um, here's how it goes. After that, he fell in love with a woman in the Wadi Sorak named Delilah. The lords of the Philistine went up to her and said, coax him, pati oto, and find out what makes him so strong and how we can overpower him. Tie him up and make him helpless and we'll give, each give you 1,100 shekels of silver. It's all about the money here. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me, please, what makes you so strong? And how could you be tied up and made helpless? Samson replied, if I were to be tied with seven fresh tendons that had not been dried, I should become as weak as an ordinary man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh tendons that had not been dry. She bound him with them while an ambush was waiting in her room. Then she called out to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Whereat he pulled the tendons apart as a strand of tow comes apart of the touch of fire. So the secret of his strength remained unknown. Then Samson says, oh, you deceived me. You lied to me. Do tell me how you could be tied up. What kind of question is this? He said, if I were to be bound with new ropes that had never been used, I would become as weak as an ordinary man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them while an ambush was waiting in a room. And she cried, Samson, the Philistines are upon you but he tore them off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have been deceiving me all along. You've been lying to me. Tell me, how could you be tied up? He answered her, ah, Joan says, this is sex talk. Tell me more, Joan. I'm just saying the rhetoric of it, it's, it's like a lover's tease. It's, it, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm really, I've never looked this closely at the sequencing of, of, of this passage. And um, yeah, she, oh, tell me. So he tells her this, tell me that. it's a tease. It's, a, it's yeah, like- Yeah, it's a, all a tease. Come right. on. Thank you. You've been lying to me. Tell me, how could you be tied up? He answered her if you weave seven locks of my head into the web. And she pinned it with a peg and cried to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. 
awakening from his sleep, he pulled out the peg, the loom, and the web. And then she said to him, how can you say you love me when you don't uh -huh. confide in me? So I think this is just, just the funniest line. Um, all she wants to do is collect the money and kill him. And okay, this makes three times that you've deceived me and haven't told me what makes you strong. And this is the crazy line. Finally, after she had nagged him and pressed him constantly, he was wearied to death. That's it. And so he confided everything to her. He said to her, no razor has ever touched my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God since I was in my mother's womb. If my hair were cut, my strength would leave me and I should become as weak as an ordinary man. That's where the Nazarite makes full circle in the Samson cycle. Now she saw that he had confided everything to her till I was sent for the Philistines with this message, come up once more for he has confided everything to me. And they came and brought the money with them and she lulled him to sleep on her lap. Okay, I guess it is kind of seductive, huh? But I don't know why he's attracted to her personally. It's like, <laughs> yeah, she must've been some dish to get the truth from him. He must've really wanted her. And she cut off the locks of his head. Thus, she weakened him and made him helpless. His strength slipped away from him. She cried, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep, thinking he would break loose and shake himself free as he had the other times. For he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. And surely the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes brought him down to Gaza and shackled him in bronze fetters and he became a mill slave in the prison. But after his hair was cut off, it began to grow back. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to their God Dagon and to make merry and they chanted, our God has delivered into our hands our enemy Samson. When the people saw him, they sang praises to their God chanting, our God has delivered you into our hands, the enemy who devastated our land and slew so many of us. And as their spirits rose, they said, call Samson here, let him dance for us. Samson was fetched from the prison and he danced for them. Then they put him between the pillars. And Samson said to the boy who was leading him by the hand, let go of me and let me feel the pillars that the temple rests upon, that I may lean upon them. And the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there and there were some 3000 men and women on the roof watching Samson dance. And then Samson called to the Lord, oh God, please remember me and give me strength just this once. Oh God, to take revenge of the Philistines, if only for one of my two eyes. He embraced the two middle pillars that the temple rested upon, one with his right arm and one with his left and leaned against them and Samson cried, let me die with the Philistines. And he pulled with all his might. The temple came crashing down on the lords and on all the people in it. Those who were slain by him as he died outnumbered those who had been slain by him when he lived. His brothers and all his father's household came down and carried him up and buried him in the tomb of his father Manoah, between Zorah and Eshtaol. He had led Israel 
for 20 years. And that's the end of the Samson story. And Marcus comments so aptly, he is his father's son. In modern Israel, there has long been the rhyming expression, koach velo moach, physical strength, but no brains. <laughs> well said. Koach lo moach. He is like his father. Okay, I read your stories today. Uh, we have a few minutes. Um, and that's a part of the Torah. We just don't read much anymore. Um, because it's so uh, unedifying. It's just like Samson, the hero, said, and he, the enemies, the Philistines, and turn about his fair play, and all that stuff. Um, but Deborah says, this story does invite us to think about what real strength is. Thank you, Deborah. The strength of the Nazarite, that could bring us back to teaching Torah about it. What is the strength of the Nazarite? It's not physical strength. The Nazarite has made an oath to God to abstain uh, from um, certain activities like alcohol and uh, to go about clearly marked as a person who is aspiring to a holier kind of status. And yet this folktale, like many stories will, turns it into an attribute um, uh, of physical strength. Other, other thoughts of any kind? It is Samson's appetite that undoes him. That's true, that's true. He just, he just loves those Philistine women, doesn't he? And he absolutely, yeah, Ellen. Um, okay. Oh, two Ellens. <laughs> well, go ahead, Ellen. I'm just struck by, um, it's like they had to have the story come out that way because he gives in to deceivers. So is it his appetite? Is it lack of brains? Is it, I don't know, but it's, I like, I mean, it's an interesting story to, to get all the three parts of it yeah thank you for thank you for doing that yeah samson's consistent all through his stories is it let's let's project ourselves way way back when these stories were fresh is this like a whole like just trash talk of the philistines and their god the sun god you know uh, who knows clearly the philistines are the butt of everything here um yeah yeah Ellen Trubwasser, what did you want to share? It occurs to me that in those days when the priesthood was strictly by inheritance, any, anybody who, um, nobody else could serve in the temple either, in any way, that becoming a Nazarite was a way um, an ordinary person could um, express love and devotion to God in a way that, um, because they, they couldn't participate as a leader in the rituals. Oh, that's a great point. Yes, yeah, since the priesthood was entirely hereditary, um, I wouldn't say inbred, Joan, because they were allowed to take wives from other tribes. Um, but uh, in the male line was a hereditary line. Um, 
this was a um, an, an inst a social institution in ancient Israel uh, where ordinary people could express their, their, as you said, their devotion and desire to uh, be closer to God. Interesting. I, it's like, yeah, yeah, we can think again, we can, I don't know what the equivalent of that is today in our culture, if we have one, uh, but certainly in pre-modern times, there are examples from many cultures of, it's a kind of monastic vow. Even though it's not a vow of sexual celibacy, it's a vow of abstention and of separating yourself from the ordinary uh, run of society. So it, it has that feeling of um, those who separate themselves by volition in order to uh, serve God. Yeah, I'd say that might be the best uh, analogy I've, I've heard. And especially, you know, as a young woman, and it was a girl and a young woman who wanted to be close to the Torah and up on the bima with all the men around the rabbi and the Ooh. cantor. Ooh. And I couldn't do it in my conservative um, synagogue as, as a kid. Um, and even on USY on Wheels, the girls couldn't do Torah stuff. And so, you know, you get the feeling of, well, if I can't do that, then at least I can do this because of, of uh, just wanting to feel like I'm getting closer to God somehow. That's beautiful, Ellen. Thank you for sharing that. The, uh, Gail, I'll call in your second. Yes, okay. the, the um, I mean, as, as, as uh, Joan wrote before, the misogyny of these passages, or at least you know, at, at worst, or the, just the rank exclusion, um, uh, means that we, it is going to relate to your experience today. Thank you. Gail? Yeah, hi, I'm sorry. I'm using my phone and I can't do hand up. I can't do chat. I uh, but I saw you. I saw you. I know. That's why I kept raising it, though. I'm just saying that's why I'm, that's what I'm apologizing for. Um, so I'm picking up on what Ellen said, that the Nazarite is supposed to be really close to God, which is obvious from the beginning of this, I guess, of the story. But, but um he doesn't choose it. You know, this is put upon him, actually. Um, right. He did, it's not a choice. And I think one way to read this story is as a farce the whole way, or maybe not, but, you know, he is an agent of the divine. And even a fool can be an agent of the divine who brings about the destruction of the enemy. Even a fool, mm. which might mm -hmm. make us feel good. It might, you know, let's hope. <laughs> Oh, I really appreciate that. It's just like what Marcus just wrote in. It's not at all clear whether it was meant to be a farce by its authors, but we have the wonderful option to read it that way today. Mm -hmm. Both of you, I but think, are on the same track. You know, even if it's not simply a farce, to understand that we never know what the outcome is going to be of anyone's actions, and even a fool can end up somehow being an agent of change. Mm, I'm seeing nice. the current fool in our, um, or several of them in our political life. <laughs> I appreciate Maybe when, You know, when they are foolish enough, something happens for the good. So anyway. That's a great comment, Gail. Uh, Abigail, I'll recognize you in a second. Uh, Barb said, when was it no longer okay to take wives that were not from our tribes? No, no, no. What I said was that the Levites could take wives from the other tribes so that it, it wasn't in um, 
the, however, that's a whole other subject of when the Israelites stopped, it, it, sometime when the Babylonian exiles returned to Israel, they got much more strict about marrying out. But until then, it was fine, obviously, to bring a woman from another people to it. But that's a whole other subject. That's all interesting subject. Abigail? Uh, what strikes me is that even though he did a certain ritual of not cutting his hair, not drinking wine, but he still had no control of his his actions. He was just, you know, he needed Prozac or something and anger management, obviously. Um, that you got to have more than just an empty ritual. You got to be all in. You need to really... You can't just be the structure. You have to be the intention. You have to have kavanah and, and real dedication. And he was, nice. not, he was not dedicated. Such good Torah coming out of this. Thank you for all your comments. That's wonderful. Ruth says, as all kinds of humans are part of the lulav during sukkahs. Yes, we need the fools. And Marcus says, fool versus wise. Who is wise? One who anticipates the consequences of his or her actions. That's good. Uh, um, you, know, you know, in Pirkei Avot, Marcus, where it says, who is wise, it says, halomed mikol adam, the one who learns from everyone. And I love this. We could add, who is wise, one who anticipates the consequences of his action, which is a later one, who, a later interpretation of who is wise, one who foresees that. So yeah, you're also, the rabbis also um, include that in their lessons of who is wise. And who is strong is uh, the one who conquers their own impulses, who masters their own impulses in that um, rabbinic uh, list. One control of his own passions. And who is mighty? Uh, also, it says in another uh, addition to that, one who can turn an enemy into a friend. So there's all kinds of beautiful teachings that go against the uh, martial sense of. Uh, of power. Mm. Yes, Marcus is his form from hundreds of years later. That's right, but it does make it into the sacred literature. Thank you. Okay, I really appreciate you letting me get to read those stories and then hear your thoughts, which are very illuminating for me. And I'll stop recording now and we'll uh, conclude together. <laughs>